You know, Wolf on Wall Street. Yesterday, I uh, my investments made thirty seven ten, and no one can tell Damn. me that I'm not rich. Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today we have an episode on money and financial literacy with Michael James. So we have been, again, still deep in the Rona. <laughs> um, and um, Michael has been posting a ton on her Instagram, I have to say, about like so many useful tips about what people should be doing right now because obviously lots of people are freaking out financially, right? So she is a accountant, a certified accountant. <laughs> and uh, why don't you just tell them kind of anything you think that the audience should know about yourself? So I'm not a CPA just yet, you know, oh, okay. it, <laughs> it's coming, <laughs> it's coming. But um, yeah, so I am Akel. I am known as the bougie budgeter on the interwebs because I'm bougie on a budget. Um, and I created the platform to really uh, empower and engage and educate about financial literacy, about money and take the shame away from money. I think that a lot of times, especially with some of these older, old, whatever, <laughs> um, money educators, it's very stale and it's very shamey. It's very, um, you know, you should literally sit in the house and never talk to anybody until you have $50 million in the bank. And if you don't have $50, $50 million in the bank, why the hell not, you know? And yeah. kind of really, I was just over that conversation because it's like, that's not me. And I'm not going to sit in the house and eat beans before I can like start living my life and I can be financially fit and financially responsible and still go to the bar every other weekend or yeah. every weekend, you know, whichever one really floats my boat. A lot of what you said just really resonated with me because I just started working against the shame that is like, yo, I have credit card debt. I feel like in all of the financial spaces I've been in, it's felt almost like I should feel like bad about myself for having credit card debt, you know? Exactly. And, you know, a lot of times then it'll even be like when you're looking over your credit card debt, like why the hell would you, you know, spend money or whatever at this point, like the money is spent. So like yeah. I can't get it back and all I can do is continue to move forward. So that's my philosophy, like, you know, taking the shame out of it and saying like, okay, so you have credit card debt. Now what's the next step? And how are you going to move from this and what habits do you want to adopt so that, you know, you you are not stuck in in this pit of debt and you're moving forward. So like that's that's where my my philosophy is. I teach positivity and abundance. I don't teach sacrifice and, you know, beans like that's just not me. I'm seeing a recurring theme with like your beans. Listen, I'm telling you, they will tell you to sit in the house and eat rice and beans. <laughs> or like, I've read this article of this guy who like ate pasta for two years until he was debt free. No. I also read that article. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm not going to do someone, that. As someone that was reading that while I was in debt, I was like, damn, like, I'm just not willing. It makes you feel that way. It makes you feel like you're not willing to, you know become debt free or you're not willing to be financially fit and no i'm just not willing to eat the same thing every day like i don't want to do that mm -hmm. well so beans are up right now they're going through a major rebrand because <laughs> big bean <laughs> <laughs> big bean <laughs> listen in a, in a financial crisis beans are pretty you can make you can l make some beans stretch now in a financial crisis or you know in a in a rona crisis but yeah <laughs> From coming from the, like the entrepreneurship world, so many like podcasts that you listen to, like how I built this, and like people will talk about, yeah, I had to eat ramen for a year, and like that's like a token thing that you had to do. It's such a trope. Yeah, I, like I don't know that emotion. I don't eat ramen on a good day. I didn't eat it in college. So what makes you think I'm gonna eat it now? <laughs> <laughs> I did eat it in college, and I ate it before that, but it's fine. <laughs> it's because we were poor. 
I also just <laughs> love cheap food. I love ramen and mac and cheese and rice and beans. <laughs> anyway, yeah. sorry, DeAndre. I didn't mean to cut you. <laughs> no, I just um I wanted to get a little bit more background on Michael and, and like ask you how did you just get this interest in finance and you know wanting to be a bougie budgeter. <laughs> so, so actually a lot of people are always super surprised but I'm 24 and I've been studying finance and accounting for the last 10 years so I started learning how to like keep books and the accounting cycle when I was in 10th grade so by the time I started college I could basically do the accounting cycle with my eyes closed. I know how the numbers work and stuff like that. And it's like, damn, I really love money. Like money just made sense to me. It was the only thing that really made sense to me because my mind works in a system and that's how accounting works. Like it works in a system. And if you skip a step, then you know where something went wrong. I like to do puzzles when I was younger. I taught myself how to sew and all of these things are just like, it's just a system. And then you can always figure out what went wrong. So that's where I really got a love for money. And then when I got into like personal finance, I've been, my platform is about uh, a year old. Uh, we're, we're coming up on a year and I got inspired by the budget Nista. Like she is so dope. And like, she's this black woman from Jersey and she's just like full of life and super down to earth. And, you know, she's talking about money and she's talking about money in a real way and not in a way that is just like, oh, well, you're dumb. You're just dumb for, for getting in a credit card debt or, or things like that. Like she inspired me and I just thought her name was clever. So I was like, damn, if I'm going to do something, it's got to be lit. So I was like, okay, let's, let's like, who am I? And I like had a list of all different kinds of names I could come up with. And I was like, maybe like the adulter or like adult, like, like all these kind of things. Um, fun fact, adulter um, comes up as porn. So yeah, yeah I would imagine that. <laughs> it sounded pornographic to me when you said it. Yeah. yeah you know, I didn't, I didn't, grasp it and then when I googled it it was like uh, it was like all this porn and I was like okay not really <laughs> but then I was like okay I, I ended up with the bougie budgetary just because like I'm bougie I'm the bougie sister the bougie friend and I was like you know this works and it really encapsulates my lifestyle like I like luxury I like to vacation I like to do things that cost money but I'm on a budget and you know everyone likes to say I, i'm bougie on a budget so i'm like okay i'm the bougie budgeter so i, I mean what do you think are because like our podcast is like focused on millennials right like what are your thoughts on how like millennials approach this process right because i think we have kind of an, a, a notoriety around not necessarily having a lot of financial literacy and like there's so many like so many of my peers are constantly saying stuff like oh I'm never going to be able to afford a house you know I'll never be able to like you know do all of these things that we've always considered previous generations to take for granted as things that would happen in your financial life you know what I mean what are your thoughts around that well number one is we aren't going to be as millennials we're not going to be privileged to that false American dream, like buying a house and things like that. Because first of all, like things are way too expensive now. And it's like, maybe I don't want a house. And, and I think that overall, our image of what our dream lifestyle has changed. Like we're having children later, right? And we are taking more more vacations, the travel industry, though, you know, Rona has not had (laughs) the last laugh with this yet, but, you know, a lot of travel companies were making so much money because the travel industry was so robust because that's what we're, we're valuing. We're valuing experiences over things. We're, um, we're valuing time with friends and things like that, or creating our own families. We're valuing mental health and things like that. So 
to older generations, it seems that we, you know, aren't focused or like we can't afford, but it's like we can afford the things that we want to and are just not choosing to buy the things that they consider was um, was helpful. Like, you know, 20 years ago, there weren't millionaires that from YouTube and now there are yeah. <laughs> like there, there are people making millions of dollars on the internet and like older generations can't identify with that because to them, the way that you made money was to go to work. And if you did not go to work, then you were lazy. And if you did not, if you were lazy, then that means you did not feed your family. And just our our idea of family has changed so dramatically as well. So I think that we're definitely in a great climate to to changing a lot of what was what used to be. And a lot of times and I don't subscribe to that, um, like we're financially illiterate like I think that a lot of people are missing the information but there is so much information out here that a lot of people are taking advantage of like even even honestly when I was graduating college like I knew I was going to contribute to a 401k I didn't know what a 401k actually did but I knew that I was supposed to contribute to it you know like and I think that the information is starting to trickle down a lot more and we're not getting credit for that. You know, I think that we're, we're not getting yeah. credit for that. Um, studies have shown that millennials actually take advantage of our 401ks more than any generation, any of the other generations. So we are learning. We are more likely to have money, s- start saving for retirement because we know that, you know, um, that the social security is not going to be a thing for us when we, when we retire, whenever, you know, they let us retire (laughs) and we are planning a lot better than previous generations also. So I think that we're getting, we get a bad rep, but you know, the proof is in the statistics and the numbers, honestly. Yeah. I mean, and even just the fact that you took an accounting class and like the fact that like we have this expectation that it has to trickle down, like in my mind, I never had to take an accounting class. In my mind, those all things all should not be like expected that we go and seek that information out. Like that should be like a required class in schools, in like high school, you know? Yeah. It wasn't required for me either. Like it was just part of this course that I had to take. Well, it was required for my econ major, but like not in my like gen ed, you know, K through 12. Well, and then even even as I was a business administration and I was focused in accounting, but we our program, like I think after two years after I had gotten to the program is when they started actually requiring personal finance as a class. They didn't require us to take personal finance originally. And that's the other thing, like accounting for a a small business is so much different than accounting for you know, personal finance and people don't take that into consideration and they think that it's all the same thing. Um, You know, I took my first tax class. I only took taxes because I, again, I'm trying to get my CPA and that was a requirement. That's the only way I learned about personal, personal taxes. That's when I found out how much the government really steals from us and then give, then calls it a refund check because they they took so much money from us throughout the year, reinvested it into the economy and then gave it back to us tax free or, you know, without the extra investment that they that they made off of it. So but, you know, we are conditioned to think like, oh, like more money tax refund is great. And no, it's not great because that means they took too much money from you throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, it's all a psychology game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I actually didn't realize that. I mean, I knew that they, like, you know, had that refund system, but it didn't occur to me to think that that was, like, the reason why that was. I assumed it was purely because of that psychological, like, kind of trick to get people to think that it's, like, it's a good thing as opposed to, like, a bad thing that they have to pay, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's a they make you seem like it's a bad thing, and then that's the thing. Like, so when so some people don't know how to fill out a was a W four. So the W four is where they actually take out your um, where you know where you take your. You like set your, the level that they take your, out. Uh, yeah, allowances. your allowances, right? So the the question is like, oh, should I do one or zero, one or zero? And I'm like, okay, if if it's just me, I always claim one because I want my money now. Like y'all don't get to give me back my money on the on the flip side. Honestly, I might just uh do two just to see, you know, what's shaking and see <laughs> see how they do it. Because like even I just did the did the math, like my, my salary is seventy one thousand dollars a year, right? And that's that's theoretically supposed to be almost six thousand dollars a month. I get like almost half that, like yeah. in my hand, <laughs> and that's not even counting the four hundred one k money that comes out. So why am I going to uh, like? That's what you're, you're legally allowing the government to take more money from you than they have to. Mm-hmm. I noticed that. So you just came out and said my salary is seventy one. Which I love. Uh, which I love. My <laughs> salary is 68. I say that to preclude the question of, like, do you think it's important that people become more comfortable just talking about their current financial situations? Like, do you think that will do that would go a long way in sort of dispelling the taboo about talking about money? I definitely think so. And I've, I'm definitely from a family where it's like, oh, like, you don't tell people what's in your pot. Like, you don't let people know that. But then when I went to college, like, um, my program, we're, we're such a close knit family, like family ties kind of thing, because I was in like an, like just this specific program, like, you know, it starts out with 200 of us. And then at the end that uh, only 20 of us ended up together getting our MBAs. We were super open. Why is it such high attrition? It's a pretty hard program and a lot of people leave. So it's a, it's a five-year program. So you have the option of just doing your four-year degree or staying for an extra year. And a lot of people didn't stay for their, their extra year. So it wasn't like, you know. They just didn't have it. Yeah. Oh, so do they just cut half the people every year? Like, because no. there's some schools that do that. There's some schools that are just automatically cut the bottom 15% no matter what. Oh, no, no, you know? no, no, no. It wasn't like that. It was nothing like that of the source. It was just like not everybody stayed to get their master's. And I mean, it was pretty hard too. It, I was, I'm not going to say it was fun and I would never do it again in my life. But um, yeah, so we were comfortable telling each other how much money we made because we wanted to gauge how much each person was getting. And then it was kind of like a competition, you know, we wanted to see who got the biggest offer. How do you, how are you negotiating and those kind of things. So we're com- like, and this was like in our group, in our group chat, like we're super comfortable about that. So I think when it came time for me to, you know, talk about my own personal finances, I was cool with saying like, Hey, when my first job offer was $60,000, I negotiated and ended up at $68,000. And what that does is like, first, like no one, this little black girl is talking about negotiating, you know, negotiating with a fortune 100 company. And yeah, I absolutely did that because if, I don't ask for more. They're going to give me less. And in the program that I'm in, I was one of, I'm like the only person that has an MBA. So I should not be getting paid the same amount as people with bachelors. That's math. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And (laughs) and it's just the kind of thing that I, 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 this is a, this is an issue that I feel really passionately about because I think that the only thing that it does is serve to screw over the people who are, getting paid the least, right? Yeah. Because like if, if you don't know what everyone else is making, right? Like it's only an issue, right? If they're getting away with paying you or paying somebody else in your company significantly less than other people, which is how companies get away with that is by promoting this culture of not talking about it. And it promotes a lot of that exact like, like especially for women, right? It's like a huge yeah. issue of just like sexism, right? And like not getting more people to talk about it, I think can only stand to level the playing field 
Yeah. Yeah. I, that's I, also why I don't pay for dates because I assume that the man always is making more money than me. <laughs> is that why you don't pay for dates? Oh my God. We have had, this has been a recurring issue on the yeah, podcast our, that we've been on. And our friend that's probably listening to this knows that we're talking about her. But smart yeah, girl, we. Smart girl. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just want to, yeah, I think that um, that was really salient. Like that whole conversation that we just had was really salient for me be- recently because at this newest job that I got, I also negotiated, and I like the negotiation. The negotiation ended up in me making a lot more money than they were trying to initially offer me, and um, I I was lucky enough to be part of a fellowship where at the end of the fellowship they were really trying to prepare us for um, like having what it takes to get a job. And they sent us like sample negotiation language for how to properly negotiate a job offer. And when I was going through the process with my colleagues or like with my colleagues at my old job, and I was really transparent with my supervisor at my old job, who was like, she was like really helpful in getting me this new job. I was like, yeah, like they offered me, I was expecting like 55 or 56 at least. A lot of the, especially the older people, like in the generation above us, straight up told me that they thought that I was, like I was asking for too much, that I was being too entitled. And Oh, my my mom was very scared. She told me that, you know, like she was more so scared, like they would take my offer away from me if yeah, I... Yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah, and they just say no. Honestly, and it was really my only offer. I had been <laughs> applying to jobs like crazy, and it was my only offer. They offered me sixty, which I said I would not take less than sixty. But I'm like, okay, well, if they're offering me sixty, then that means they could at least pay me seventy. Yeah, if they meet you at your initial offer, like they typically can go higher, and they're like, oh, that's all she wants, bet. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the initial offer. That wasn't even, that was before I negotiated. Yeah. So the initial offer was 60,000 and you know, like regular uh regular 40 hours for um vacation and stuff. And I was like, okay, well I ended up negotiating up to 62 62,000 for um for the salary and then another $5,000 bonus for uh, moving. Cause I was like, you know what? Well, I'm in school and I had to move back to uh, DC. So um, they ended up giving me an extra $5,000 to move back home. And, you know, I wouldn't have gotten that if I didn't just ask or like start the conversation. And it's not that we're not financially literate. A lot of times it's that we know that we're not making that much money. And that's why I kind of get very irritated at some financial literacy people who are saying, oh, well, you just need to get a second job. No, the main job that I'm working at needs to pay me like I'm a human. I think a a common perception for especially for people that might make a little bit more money, that people that aren't making a lot of money are financially irresponsible. I've definitely found that like, you know, it's that's it's often the exact opposite. Like people that don't make a lot of money, like have had to learn how to stretch dollars and have had to learn how to like live off of less and exactly like worry about that and stress about that absolutely and the the personal finance space it it gets draining sometimes because they create this air of like you know people aren't doing enough and sometimes i'm really doing all that i can and some again sometimes it's really this society and then it happens well oh well you're not investing your money i barely have enough to eat (laughs) so (laughs) where's the disposable income that i can have to invest and, you know, then, they, then they'll talk about scaling back your lifestyle. Not everybody has the luxury. I have the luxury of being able to move back home. A lot of people don't. That's another thing. A lot of millennials are at least like we can see that our parents are creating the space for us to come back home and things like that, because it, it is it is a known fact that we're more likely to move back home after graduation. But that's because it's too expensive to not. And it just doesn't make sense. I'm kind of curious about what the um, like the types of people who are interested in personal finance and like who come to you and like, Mm -hmm. you know, who talk about this kind of stuff. Do you think I mean, like, I don't know, because I'm not really super in the personal finance world. But is it is it that diverse 
from a class perspective? A lot of times, a lot of the the people that I meet, I'm not going to make a generalized statement, but a lot of the people that I do meet, a lot of them come from low income backgrounds. I am one of the few people that I say, like, I didn't come from low income background. I came from a low middle class. I, I don't know what it's like to worry about if the lights are going to turn off in my home. I don't, I don't, I've never had to worry about if we had, if we didn't have food to eat. And again, like people are missing the point that there are like middle-class people also have money issues and financial literacy, like they don't understand, especially if your parents came from low income, like mine did. My parents came from a low income, they got money. And then, then I came along when they started to, to earn more money, but they were still blue collar. My dad's still a blue collar, blue collar worker. My, my mom is a secretary. It's not like we were swimming in cash, but my first job out of college, I make more than my mom and almost half their combined salary. So mm-hmm. you're telling me at 22, I'm supposed to understand how to have more money than my mom? Like, yeah. What? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and how? I think it's a, it's a really interesting like class identity, right? Because I do think that in my experience, I feel like so many people kind of basically develop their class identity when they are growing up, right? Yeah. And then there's this weird thing that happens like, you know, after college when suddenly you are like going into higher income brackets, right? Where there's this like weird cognitive dissonance, right? Like so many of the people that I know graduated college and that did that exact same thing that you're talking about where they started were immediately make making more money than their parents like did in their entire careers you know and then it's weird because like technically they're now like upper middle class or upper class but like you know in terms of the actual salary that they're making but there's i think often this mindset of like of still being like oh no but i st- i can't like like you know, pay more than $15 for a meal or something. Right. And like, it's, it's interesting to me how that identity formation happens, because I think that it really differs between different people, you know, because it's, it's of such a like personal and kind of like tricky issue to talk about, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But then also sometimes some of these personal finance gurus have been, in the room, you know, been um, rich for so long that I think that they forget and like miss it, you know? Mm -hmm. And also to have been poor in 95 and to be poor in 2020 is completely different. Like poor is poor, right? Or, you know, low income is low income, but now we're seeing even with Rona, like people need like Wi-Fi needs to be universal, needs to be something that's universal because now, oh, that's how the children are getting schoolwork. But that wouldn't have worked for me if if that if this something like this would have happened if I when I was in high school, because we had one computer. We yeah. barely I don't think we even had Internet. We didn't really have Internet growing up. So we had to go to the library. And no, like if the library is closed, what what do I do? Like, that's how I got on the, on the computer. That's how I started my, MySpace. (laughs) (laughs) From the library? From the library. I used to log on at the library. Like that's how I did everything. And now y'all are telling me like, I have no access to the library and I have to stay in the house. But I, we like, or maybe like some people only have one laptop or one computer for the entire house. So how are three kids? Well, I'm the youngest of six. How are six kids going to going to share one computer to get their homework done? Um, I'd love to uh, pick your brain about your philosophy of like paying down debt versus saving. Like, do you um, have thoughts on whether someone should? Um, like aggressively pay down debt first before they try and save? Do you think people should do it congruently? Like, yeah. Okay. So I have, my philosophy is I'm a save first uh, person. So 
this is, and here's why. How much sense does it make to pay off $50,000 of debt and save zero? How much do you have at the end of that? Zero dollars. Just zero dollars, <laughs> right? But if I saved $5,000 first and then aggressively paid off $50,000, then I at least have $5,000 to start with. I'm not starting at zero. Mm-hmm. So I I believe in a save first and a very popular, I'm not going to say his name, but a very popular man who created some baby steps. His idea was to have a $1,000 emergency fund and then put all the rest of your money towards p- getting out of debt, right? Yeah. So $1,000. You know, show of hands, listeners out there, let me know how much, how long you can survive off of a $1,000 emergency fund. Which is weirdly playing out right now. Yeah, like, $200, like, right? right? Right now. Like, how long can you survive if you, you know, if you got laid off from your, from your job right now, how can, how long can you survive with $1,000 as your emergency fund? Yeah. If I, well, did, like, the for me, like, varies drastically based on where you are. Yeah. For me, yeah. like, maybe a month. Maybe a month. Even living, to me, even living with my parents, I can do a month. And that's if I, like, strip everything down and I don't pay for anything. Mm-hmm. A month. So, I believe in a save first and then... Back to the Bajanisa, like I love her, but her she was saying like I was listening to one of her um, her interviews and she said you know we sometimes get so obsessed with pay- paying off debt that we forget to build wealth, and if you forget to build wealth, you know you can take the time and she and she said she did the she did it the first way like you know stripped down her life and focused solely on paying off $50,000 of debt. And she said she did it like in a year and a half, maybe. And she felt great. But then she was about to basically go back into that hermit crab life to pay off her student loans. And she was like, you know, I didn't want to do that. And her brand had just started taking off. And she decided to put her student loans on a minimum payment and make as much money as she could within the five years and just wrote one big, you know, $50,000 check to write off her student loans. And right there is like, you know, she wasn't, after she wrote that $50,000 check, she's not starting from zero. And she still had, and she had money and wealth that she could sustain herself. And I think that that, I think that that philosophy makes so much more sense to be focused on growing wealth Growing wealth, a part of that will be to pay off your debts, right? But if you become so debt obsessed and so obsessed to like pay, like to me, student loans, I'm going to pay them off when I feel like it. Like I'm going to pay, like they're going to get paid off, but it's not going to be like super soon, right? Yeah. I'm kind of just kicking it with my loans. I'm like, I'll pay the minimum. Yeah, I'm I'm kicking it. And now now that they're on a freeze right now, I'm good for a minute because it it's not hurting me. Now I want to pay off my car much faster. I don't have any credit card debt because I decided, like, you know, early on that I wasn't gonna hold balances on my credit cards. And if I did, they were gonna be very low balances that I could pay off. But I I believe in saving first. So at least having three to six months of your expenses saved before, because then the other idea is when you're putting all this money towards debt, if you're, if you're putting every last dime towards debt, if something random pops up and something random always pops up, my, I, blew a tire and had to get all four tires changed and had to spend $700. And if I didn't have an emergency fund, that would hurt me. But I think the, the, the 
the rationale behind people who who want to do it so aggressively is because the interest rates on debt are usually so high compared to yeah. the interest rate that you're going to get if you just keep it in the bank, right? So well, in the yeah. end of the day, you're not. It's not like you're saving five thousand dollars and paying back fifty thousand in both scenarios. You'd be saving five thousand and maybe paying fifty five thousand. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, you know, I could pay like I could end up paying off, you know, more because of the interest and at the end of the day like I am more focused on what my future self is going to be anyway like I'm going to have to pay the debt regardless the interest is going to accrue regardless but future me will benefit more from saving and having something to fall back on in case my job, in case of job loss, in case the unknown happens. And I have something there before, instead of, you know, just being super aggressive with debt. And I do think that you should be aggressive with debt, but after you have a healthy savings. Yeah, that makes sense. So what's money? <laughs> like literally like i'm reading this book right now that I, that my dad is making me read called debt or democracy and so much of it is literally making it's not it's not really about personal finance it's really just about like macroeconomics but it's really highlighting to me how much we just do not know even though money plays such a huge important role in our lives how much we do not know about like really basic things about the financial system, right? And I think seemingly like expert sources don't even really seem to know about the financial system, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's how it's, desi- it's really designed for you to not understand. I haven't read that book, but I'm going to have to yeah. grab it for myself. Um, to me, honestly, I'm going to be um, kind of spacey right now. And money is just an exchange of energy. Mm-hmm. That's that. Like- oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you really hit us with the energy, huh? <laughs> like, if 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 we want to be very um, hotel and and spacey, money is just an exchange of energy. Like, it's not real. It's it like, and that's why I I like to compare it to like a hammer. Like, money is a tool. It's not the end all be all. It's, it's like a hammer. Like if I'm building a house, I need the hammer to build the house. But that's all it's good for. It's not really, it's not a real thing. And if I lose my hammer, I can just go find a new one. I, re- I really agree with that mentality about it from like a, from a individual like level standpoint. Right. Because like literally I, you know, I quit my job in December. Right. And, um, I'm trying to start a casket business, which is like a whole other can of worms, but like, it's, I don't like, for, like, a, like dead people, like casket? dead people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's good um, money. That's good money. <laughs> Well, I mean, a lot of people have been sending me texts recently being like, especially like right now and I'm like, whatever. But (laughs) and so um, but it's the kind of thing where like it's so like subjective what you consider, you know, money to be for. Right. Like you can think of money in terms of like how many cups of coffee it can buy you or how many like whatever, like whatever it is you do, like how many games you can buy with it or whatever. But it's hard, I think, to translate it back to like thinking about it in terms of can it like what can it really buy you? Like, can it buy you time? Like the only reason I'm able to quit my job and start this company is because I have savings. And like instead of whatever, like I don't drink or like do, you know, like do basically anything recreational with my money. And so (laughs) um, so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I literally just like eat mac and cheese every day. <laughs> but I mean, for me, like I had a long kind of sort of just come to Jesus moment of being like, wow, I, I can literally just use this money to buy myself like time to focus on the things that I actually want to do, you know, because I'm not yeah. saving like like you said, I'm not saving for a house. I'm not saving for like a car. There's like zero like, you know, major financial goals like that that I have outside of like needing to start a business. So it's like, you know, it, it does feel like so much of the like common uh, common sense or like, you know, like the 
normal like advice that people give about like personal finance doesn't seem to really apply to me because it's not like I I need any of those things, you know? And and that's the thing, like it's not accounting for the fact of people don't really want to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Like some people don't want that responsibility and you have so many like real estate gurus is like, well, that's the only way you could build wealth is by owning real estate. And I'm like, eh, I'm not into that. Or you have to be in the stock market. Eh, I'm not into that. And that's like, to me, that's fine. Like, I don't want to be a wolf on Wall Street. I don't want to like look at Apple's charts and see how they're doing today. Like that is boring. I yeah. don't want to do that. But and it like, also comes from a perspective of the only purpose of money is to make more money. And then you're like, but then what? <laughs> yeah, like then, right. then what? Like that's why I say money can't be the goal because there is never going to be enough. So like to me, the type of investor, I want to be an angel investor. I think that angel investing is like super dope. I, I don't, I'm lazy. I don't want to actually run businesses. But if like, hey, you know, Isabel's caskets is real popping, you know, and she just needs some extra seed money. I'd rather have enough money to throw 10000 at Isabel's company because I believe in her brand and I believe that, you know, in the impact that she's going to make in the casket world. And mm-hmm. that to me is more more worth the money and being an angel investor and you know putting money towards businesses that I, I believe in versus giving my money to Apple or Ford who can't even pay their bills. Like yeah. why would I do that? Yeah. And and I you mentioned the American dream at the beginning of this episode. And like I want to say I do think that that conception of the American dream is a myth of that notion of meritocracy, whatever. But I do think that that notion that there are people in America who, and there seems like lots of people who are willing to like, you know, once they accrue money to like reinvest it back into their communities and into people mm-hmm. who are like trying to build new things. That to me, I do think is like the thing that makes America like the place to like start businesses. And like, that is an American dream in my mind. Yeah. You know, the fact that that's even something that people can do, right. If you don't have money that you can try to start a business and like people will, you know, not just sit on their wealth, like they'll actually give it to you so that you can try to make, you know, get your own chance at making something, you know? Exactly. And, and, you know, and then we all win at the end of the day. So I think that, I just think that we we need to take a good look at like why we want this money and why are we trying to acquire the wealth that we need? Like I posted, like, I don't want to be a billionaire. Like to Mm -hmm. me, a billionaire is not inspiring. What the fuck do I have in common with Jeff Bezos and, and Warren Buffett? Like, I don't care about, I don't care about their money. What, like, what is inspiring to like, oh my gosh, they, they created a fortune. Okay. So what? And like, like all that means that they didn't, they didn't find anything cool to like do with their money or like, they didn't like, you know, they didn't. Yeah. But what it was, was what I loved is like JK Rollins who made so much money off of Harry Potter that she was like, wow, I actually have way too much fucking money and I don't want to keep it. So I'm going to give so much away that I'm not a billionaire anymore. That to me is much more effective and so much more inspiring than some rich old white man who's just talking about being rich. Mm-hmm. I like, I didn't care when Jay-Z announced that he was a billionaire. What, like, <laughs> what does that make me more connected to him now that he's a billionaire? Why, like, is that going to change anything from two weeks ago when he wasn't a billionaire? Like, I don't care. (laughs) Right, right. It's it's not an inspiring story to me. I'm more inspired to spend my money on things that make a difference in my life. And I think that even goes to, like, the types of companies that are growing now. Like, we are putting our money more towards indie Uh, companies and companies that we know the owner or we feel like we know the owner. Um, We're putting our money towards companies that are giving back, like how Tom, Tom's blew up and Tom's, their model was 
more focused on every time you buy a pair of shoes from us, somebody else gets a pair of shoes and people are connected to that. Um, even like with like feminine products, they have companies that every time you buy uh, feminine products from us, women in need, women in other countries are we're donating uh, feminine products to them. Like that's where we're interested in spending our money. Like who cares about these established old brands that have gone to gone to show that they don't care about America. <laughs> like they don't care about the citizens. They don't care about their workers. They don't care about anything but their bottom line, which they falsify to make negative so that they don't have to pay taxes or get tax refunds. Mm-hmm. How, Talk about it. How are middle-class Americans have not yeah, having taxes. to pay taxes, pay more taxes than a trillion dollar company. Like, where does that make sense? Sorry, you know, I was, I was, I was getting into it, Isabel. No, I know, like, it, girl. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's also crazy because that's literally like money is a made up concept, right? It's a complete yeah. like social construct, right? And literally the only purpose of us creating money, right, is as a mode of exchange, right? So like mm-hmm. people just sitting on money for like eternity, right? Is it like, literally it, just it damn not, near defeats the point, it's right? Like, not it's, why money was invented, yeah. <laughs> right? So if you're gonna like, if you're gonna put yourself in a position where you've made all this money, then like I think that well, I, I certainly think there's a, philo- a philosophical obligation to do good things with it. But like beyond that, I think it's just like more interesting. It like probably leads to like a, a more fulfilling and fun life. I don't know. I'm not. I I'm not even close to being a millionaire. But I imagine that <laughs> like if you have the means to be able to give or like give and do so much with it, then there something has to be better and more like you know better for. And almost every facet than just like letting it amass. Exactly. Michael, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. You just know a lot more about money than I do. Which is good. Uh, I don't know. You're the economist, so but yeah, okay. but like, <laughs> but we we already talked about how like that just means that I studied like nothing for four years. Like I studied something <laughs> that was imaginary. Literally. <laughs> My very last question for you, Michael, is: Do you do your own taxes? No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) So even the person that wants to be an accountant doesn't do their own taxes. Listen, that's why I will never do my taxes. Oh my god! I give give DeAndre so much shit for not doing his taxes, but himself. Small business taxes is confusing. I know. Actually, if I said like I know how to prepare taxes, I just rather not do them myself because I don't want to fuck them up. But small business taxes, like there's a bunch of different extra schedules and you have to kind of know the tax law. I, I said I was going to get into it and start learning. I'm a I'm going to probably get into it and just start learning like how to do my own and like probably like my family. But that's it. Like. I don't want to like do this as like a, I'm a tax preparer. When I got uh, the new job, I told Isabel and our friend Kristen, I was like, yo, I am now way too rich to do my own taxes. No, yeah. 68000 <laughs> absolutely. Way too rich. Way too rich to do my own taxes. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Literally everything you need to know is in the instructions. I'm not going to do them, Isabel. I'm never oh going to do my own taxes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm not no. going to do it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, and if you make less than like fifty thousand dollars, depending on how much you put towards your four hundred one k, you could actually go to uh Vita, the V I T A. They um prepare your taxes for free if you make yeah. less than like fifty thousand or fifty five thousand. Yeah. I used that like research that. when I was still in the fellowship that I had, where I was making like thirty six. Yeah, my um my professor was um my professor uh ran like a Vita station from our uh at school and I would like help him and but everybody used to get their taxes done by him and he was just doing for free because yeah. mm-hmm. he had the, the free government resources yeah well um I know that you have a lot of stuff going on Michael so please take the floor talk about what, whatever you want to plug 
Yeah. So first, you know, if you like, you know, just like hanging out with me, I do have an Instagram that I update very, very often. Like Isabel said, um, I drop tips, facts, and a bunch of nonsense sometimes just if I'm feeling in the mood to. Um, So I'm at the Bougie Budgeter. So Bougie is spelled B-O-U-J-I-E because Bougie with the G looks like boogie to me. (laughs) (laughs) so um the bougie budgeter is instagram and then um twitter and facebook is just bougie budgeter no the because um twitter wouldn't let me put the the so whatever and um you are welcome to check out my website at bougiebudgets.com and that is where you can get a free copy of the financial flow if you know you just want to test out to see how you can gauge and you know uh, look at your money that way or if you want to get a more in-depth understanding I do have a free work you know not free workbook. I have a paid workbook um, that is really dope and it's um it's like literally everything that I'm saying but in depth about like how you should look at your money how to create the system and how to actually create the automation behind it because I'm I'm huge into fintech and using apps and things like that to help your process go faster and make it more systematic versus like um manual because I'm lazy and I like my money to do things on its own um, and so that is like financially innovative, uh, is my workbook. And if you put in the code villain, you can get $20 off of the workbook. The workbook is normally $39, but you can get it for $19. Oh, it's you- fucking lit. Wow. <laughs> That's a special code. Yeah. We yes. Know that. Uh, yes. You know, what a podcast or- thing to do. <laughs> what a podcast thing to do, you know, tracking analytics. But um <laughs> but yes, put in um code name villain and you can get twenty dollars off your workbook and um you know let me know how that works for you. And then um the last two things I do have a newsletter if um it's called the first and fifteenth, so like a paycheck every first and fifteenth. I come into your inbox and tell you some random money facts that you should know, and then I leave. And that's much like the paycheck. Just like the money, yeah. Just like the money, okay. And um, I have a podcast of my own, and uh, with my with my good friend Naima called Code and Coin. Isabel uh, mentioned it a little bit in the beginning. And Code and Coin is where money nerds and tech geeks come to play. So we talk all things fintech. We are the uh, first and only Black woman hosted fintech podcast. And we have tech founders. So people who are creating tech for people that look like us and, um, you know, making it more accessible. And we also have um, interviews with some really dope personal finance people, people who are killing the game in the personal finance world. So come check us out. It's code and coin on the, um, on the podcast platforms, everywhere you find podcasts, you know, all the major things. And I think that's it for me. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, thank um, you guys. No, really, really enjoyed your perspective on this. On our end, uh, you know, we we still have the same tags. Um, we're at, <laughs> we're uh, at I'm the Villain Pod on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and that's also our Gmail address. So if you heard anything you liked or anything you disliked or have any questions, especially while we have a connection with Michael, who like you know knows knows I think I will still say knows more about money than I do. Yeah, please drop us a line. Um, also, uh, shout out to Michael for coming to our live show in February. Um, and if you haven't heard it yet, or if you couldn't make it, we posted the live show for last week's episode. Um, okay, bye.